Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. So glad you guys can be with us today at Garfield Memorial Church. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at our church, and uh, we are in this celebration of church at home. We're not celebrating that we're at home. We're not celebrating that we're separated in many ways. Uh, if you were that way during this Thanksgiving holiday, my family was too. Um, that's nothing to celebrate. But what we do celebrate is that the church is where we are. The church is not brick and mortar. Acts 17 says the church, God does not live in a house of stone, but he lives in the hearts of believers who make God their own. And so we are the church in I don't know how many locations right now, and we're so glad to do that. And I think, you know, God doesn't bring pandemics. God didn't bring plagues in the first century. God doesn't do these things. It's part of our brokenness, you know, and our relationship with God, but God can work in all things. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. In all things, God is working for good. And what do I think God is doing in the midst of this time? He's reminding us of how our journey with Christ started. Christianity, if you will. Now, you know, if you've listened to me more than once, you know I do not believe Christianity is a religion. The world had enough religions but there was a way. There were, that was, the early Christians were called followers of the way. Jesus said, come and follow me. And when we follow Christ, we follow him into this different way. This, this way of living. This way of believing. This way of uh, knowing that God is with us. The next three weeks, Scott and Terry and I and Steve, we're going to be preaching on that word Emmanuel for Christmas, God is with us. In fact, if you read that in the Hebrew, it says God is still with us. You know what I mean? That God is, God is with us. And when we're on that journey, what does it mean to know that God is with us? In the early church, they started churches in homes. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you read the book of Acts, planted all these churches, guess where they were meeting? In homes. Acts 16 is kind of a foundational uh, scripture for this church. And it says when, God, when Paul went in to found the Philippian church, the only church nev- Paul never criticizes, probably his healthiest church, it says where it started. It started in the home of Lydia. A woman. So, so there's wonderful reasons that we've created these great cathedrals. Garfield, we have a wonderful facility here. When my wife and I toured Europe, 
Or if you come with us to Israel, Pastor Lori's been there, Pastor Terry, and we've gone. These amazing cathedrals to honor God, they take your breath away, and they should, because God's worthy of that and more. But the problem with that is sometimes we turn church into a building. We turn church into something we show up for one day a week, an hour a week. And then we go home and do life. Jesus said, that's not who I am. I want you to be with me. I want you to do life with me. I want you to follow me, he said. Come with me. Be involved with me. And, and that's the whole thing of what church was supposed to be in the first place. Is we were to do it at home. So church at home right now, even during these holidays, even when we're a little you know, down the dump sometimes with everything going on. This can be an opportunity for us to ignite what Christianity was all about. I read a story that really hit me this week. Um, This guy named James Hampton, he's a folklore artist, an American folk artist. Uh, I don't know if you know American folk or artists. I'm not a good artist. I can barely draw stick figures. But James Hampton created something that is now in the Smithsonian Museum of American Art. It was called, ready for this? Be patient. The Throne of the Third Heaven of the Nation's Millennium General Assembly. What the heck does that mean? Art critics just call it the throne. And he built it in his garage. I mean, James Hampton was selling art. He was out there, you know, doing his stuff. But in his garage, he built a throne room that he felt represent revelation. That represent the throne when God creates the new heaven and the new earth. James uh, Hampton was a Christian. He was a follower of Jesus. And he would pick up stuff. People said he'd pick up things, use things, uh, things people discard. He was actually a janitor in a a government building. And he would take things that people threw away and he'd put it together. And and at the end of the day, watch this slide. We're going to show you. He built this. That was the throne. And on the throne seat, he wrote these words. Do not be afraid. In his garage. I mean, this is what he's most known for. It's in the Smithsonian. Like, I think if you get in the Smithsonian, that's pretty important. Like, if one of my sermons ends up in the Smithsonian, like, I'll kind of matter. And this guy built it in his garage. Nobody knew about it until the end of his life. Because what was he doing? He was building church at home. He was reminding himself of, of, of what the message of the gospel was. That the word has become flesh and dwelt where? Among us. I'm going to dig deep in that verse in just a minute. But Moses here at the very end of the book of Exodus, that's where I want to start. I know Scott read all those wonderful verses and you're like, try to keep me awake. I mean, you know, it's like building this tabernacle. Now, let me tell you something. The book of Exodus is a pretty exciting book. 
That's why Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner did the Ten Commandments. That's why Steven Spielberg did that animated, The Prince of Egypt. I mean, the book of Exodus, even if you're not a believer, good stuff, right? Parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, the Ten Commandments, the Mount Sinai shaking, right? Good theater. Do you realize Scott read for you today the end of the book of Exodus? And it's kind of ho-hum. I mean, all that action movie, it's like Indiana Jones, and then at the end, it's like, okay, put part A into part B and assemble the curtain and build. What's going on here? The point of the book of Exodus is that God is leading us to worship. He's leading us to this. Now, you know what Moses said to Pharaoh, right? Every one of you can repeat it. Moses went to Pharaoh and said what? Right. Pastor Lori got, I mean, we can sing it. The old spiritual, what does it say? Let my people go. Dre's going to fire me after today. But I'm just saying, you know, that was it. That's a fragment. The word of Exodus that Moses went was not to Pharaoh, let my people go. It was let my people go so that they may worship me. See, what the book of Exodus says is kind of, I'm not the hippie that Pastor Terry is, but I know enough about Bob Dylan to know he said we're all going to serve somebody. The point of the book of Exodus is we're all going to worship something. The word worship means worth-ship. It means to apply worth to something. All of us are going to apply ultimate worth to something. And whatever we apply that to, that's what we're going to serve. And Exodus, if you read it, says, if you apply worth to anything, that's not God. Pharaoh, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, the main characters, Israel, the golden calf. If you apply worthship to anything but God, it will enslave you. Do you understand that Pharaoh, we call, he's kind of like an archvillain you know, of, of the Bible. He's a Thanos to the Avengers, right? But before Pharaoh was a villain to Israel, do you know he was a provision to Israel? Pastor Steve and I ended the reconciliation uh, series talking about Joseph. Joseph rose up to prominence in Egypt. Why? Because Israel was in famine. And, and God used Pharaoh to feed his people, But the problem was they leaned on that hand of flesh too long. And if you lean on something too long that's not God, that same thing that used to feed you will now enslave you. That's what the book of Exodus is all all about. It's a worship story. It's a worship story. And so the book of Exodus ends with Moses building the tabernacle as God commanded. Didn't that sound like the book of Genesis, the beginning? In the beginning, there was night and there was day and it was good. It was like Moses did this. He built the curtain as God commanded. Moses put the basin out as God commanded. Moses did this. Why is God so meticulously building a place of worship? Because he knows we need it. When Jesus showed up, and people were worrying about Sabbath law and everything, Jesus said the Sabbath was not just 
made for you, right? Like you, you weren't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for you. You need this. You need to center God in the middle of your life. So here's what we're challenging you, pastor, staff, team at Garfield. Build a tabernacle in your home. Build one. Why? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly here, 18 minutes, the why, the what, and the how. Or, I'm sorry, the why, the what, and the who. The why. Why do we need a tabernacle? Why do we need it? Practically, we need to set aside space for God, you know, to acknowledge God in our lives. We need to set aside space. Do you ever notice that? If you don't set aside space, you'll fill it with something else. I love when we go to conferences in the church. We have this conference that Scott and Terry and I look forward to every year that we have to go to for the Methodist church. And they, it, it used to be four days. We did it in a day and a half. But we notice when you make it four days, we'll fill the time. How many of you know in your own life you will fill up your own time? But when we set aside space, we're saying this is important. This is something I need in my life. Now, you know, Thanksgiving this year was was weird for the Freed family. We usually all go to my sister's house. We couldn't do that this year due to the pandemic. So what would normally be Thanksgiving in one location, kind of like our church right now, was Thanksgiving in five locations, right? Across the Virginia, Massachusetts, and Ohio, right? We were in five locations. Do you know, even though we couldn't be together, each one of us set up our space. We decorated our tables. We put out the best china. We put out uh, table runners. We were sending pictures to each other. Why? Because we said this is important. It's important to be together. Why do you do that? Why do you set up space in a holiday or a Christmas table or whatever? Because you're saying this moment, this time that we're spending together is important. That's why Moses set up the tabernacle. That's why God said to set up some space. Because the time that we're going to spend together is important. You know, when this pandemic hit back in Easter, my wife and I just started setting up some space in our house. So here's what Monday, Thursday looked like in our house. And here's what Good Friday looked like in our house. And here's what Easter Sunday looked like in our house. We just got trinkets from Israel and other places we've been. And we set up an altar. We set up some space. My, wor- my wife worships at home every Sunday. Because we, but we set up space. Now, guess, guess what? That's all portable, right? And, and the tabernacle in, the, or in Exodus was portable. Every time, did you hear it? When they moved along their journey, they tore it down and set it up. What space are you setting up in your home? What space are you setting up for worship? Leah called us into worship in our living rooms, in our kitchens, if we're driving, right? We need to set up space. And I know that the Garfield Memorial, our wonderful buildings, our wonderful locations, we have created that space for God. But we need to create that space in our lives, right in our living rooms. Because the danger of the church, 
was it became an organization. We just, it's almost like we go do visiting hours with God. Like going to the hospital, going to the prison, or going, you know, to the nursing home. Or going, like we'll go do visiting hours, and then we go home. God is not held hostage to our buildings or our denominations or our non-denominations. God is alive. Jesus didn't say, here's the way to find God. Go there. That's what all the religious founders is. Jesus said, I'm God. Come to find you. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Let's go do life together. And I screwed that up, friends. I, I've been as guilty as anybody. It's like, oh, come to a meeting one hour a week in a building. No. Come do life with Jesus every second of your day. What did Paul say? Paul, who was a religious zealot, he said, I met Jesus. And now in him, I move, I live, I breathe, and I have my being. So that's why we're saying church at home. Build your tabernacle at home. So that's the why of it. We create space for God. What's the what? The what is the tabernacle deals with the problem of barriers. Now, what do I mean by that? There are barriers between us and God. Now, now I'm going to fix that in a minute when I get to the who. But the truth is we know there's something stuck between me and God. Now, Pastor Scott's down here and he's going to heckle me. He's a Star Wars guy. I'm older than him, so I'm a Star Trek guy. Like, I love the movies. Star, like, I grew up on the TV series. And then they started making movies until, like, William Shatner got 70 and Leonard Nimoy died. But we just wanted to extend it, right? And they had the whole Star Trek series. Do you remember the one where there was, I think it was Star Trek Four. don't quote me on that, but where they heard from God. There was a God. It was the earthling God, the God of Jesus, the God of Moses. There was a Romulan God. There was a Klingon God. And he was calling them to come find him. But they had to fly through the great barrier. Some of you are going like, what is he preaching about? I have no idea. Anyhow, they had to fly through the barrier. And the barrier had never been broached. And it turned out to be kind of just a storm, right? And they got there and it wasn't God, by the way. But the truth is, we all sense a barrier. We all sense something we're up against to get to God. If, whether you're older or younger, here's the deal. If you're older like me, like I'm the tail end of the baby boomers, older traditional folks were taught just be good. Right? Be good. You'll get to God. And guess what? The closer we get to the real God, we know we're not good. We know what Jesus said, nobody is good but God alone. And we feel spiritually small. Now, if you're younger than me, you know what you've been raised in, not be good, be free. Your rights, your opinions, your things. But guess what? The closer you get to God, he makes claims on your life. He demands things of you and you say, wait a minute, if I follow him, I won't be free. See, the closer we get to God, the more spiritually small we feel because we know there's a barrier. Guess what that barrier is? It's called sin. Read Genesis. 
the very beginning, Pastor Scott and I preached on this in our reconciliation series. We said we can't be reconciled with God except go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, what happened? God gave us everything. Heaven on earth. Perfection. Right? Everything was in order. Creation was in order. Nature was in order. No death, no disease. We were in order, naked and not ashamed, right? We were together. We weren't hiding. We weren't, you know, fabricating. We weren't lying. No insecurity. But all of a sudden, we decided to be our own God, to be our own Savior, to be our own Lord, to be our own King. And what happened? Everything unraveled. And there was a barrier. The, the book of Genesis says, you know, God set up an angel, a cherubim, with a flaming sword. There was something broken in our relationship, and we did it. And we need a tabernacle. We need a place to go in to know there's something, there, there's another world out there. There's a, there's a reality with a capital R, and I'm not fitted for it. I'm not prepared for it. I, there's something broken in me. That's why when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, read it in Mark chapter 8. Some of you who are just coming to faith are going, what the heck is he talking about? Read it. It's a good story. Jesus went up on the mountain in the Shekinah glory of God, what was read to you in the scripture. The presence of God came down. And what did Peter say, who's you and me, very fleshy? He said, let's build tabernacles let's build because we're not we're not prepared to be in the presence of God Moses couldn't go into the Shekinah glory of God in the tabernacle because it was kill on contact if you read Exodus when the Shekinah glory of God came down on the mountain if they even touched it they would die we need a tabernacle because we know there's a barrier because we know there's a chasm. We know there's something broken in us that is not able to go into the perfection of God. But the good news is the tabernacle points not just to the what, but to the who. To the who of the tabernacle. What's the who? Well, let me tell you. We're getting ready to go into Advent. And my other, the other preaching team will preach this better than me. But we're going to dig deep for three weeks on that word, Emmanuel. God with us. Where does that come from? It comes from a prophecy way back when in Isaiah that said, one day, this tabernacle that we set up, this, this place that we hide under because we know there's a barrier, one day there's one coming who will bring the Shekinah glory of God, who will bring the presence of God right with us. And that's why John, who walked with Jesus, said, we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son. And he said, the word became flesh. Now, read your Bible. It says, and he dwelt amongst us, and he came amongst us. You know what? The English cleans that up. You know what it literally says? He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent. What tent? This tent. 
the tabernacle of God's presence. Jesus said, the Shekinah glory of God that killed on contact, the one that shook the mountains, the one that Moses couldn't see, guess what? I'm it. I am the way. I'm the way through the barrier. I'm the way to connect with God. I'm going to break the curse of what has kept you from God. I'm the who that the tabernacle pointed to. Now look at Moses. He had to do all these things. Create the basin. Make the curtains. Do all these things. All that way to get to God. And Jesus says, I am God. Come to get to you. I've come to fulfill this promise. I've come. And that's why it's so hard to explain, friends. But at the end of Jesus' life... It's all tabernacle language. Like when Jesus said, it is finished, right? Notice Moses. He did this and he did that and he did this and he did that. And the very end of the scripture said, he finished his work and God came. What the gospel writer says is Jesus came and did all the work. And at the end of his life said what? It is finished. And when he said it was finished, you remember in the tabernacle, you heard the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, that thing Indiana Jones was chasing after for years, right? It, it, the, the, the presence of God, it was hid in the, in the basis with a big curtain in front of it. It was like in the tabernacle and all, ultimately in the temple. And it said, what Jesus breathed his last and said it is finished, the curtain was torn in two by two invisible hands saying, well, we're not going to need that anymore because now we have full access to God. Listen to these words from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Tim Keller, a a contemporary theologian, spoke on that verse and said this, Christians are not nice people who've been reformed through moral effort. We're do-gooders. No, they're radically regenerated at the root people because that thing that shook the mountains and killed on contact has now come to us in Jesus. It explodes in us now as the ultimate living, giving thing. Do you hear that? That's why we want you to tabernacle at home. That's why we want you to create space at home. That your space may be a place where you acknowledge the presence of God. Not out there somewhere. Not in, you know, in this building. But with you. God is with you. And he's teaching us that now. And I pray that that might really resonate with you. Don't just leave it to the folk artist to build a temple in his garage that they found after he died. 
but build it in your living room, in your family room, in your kitchen, whether you're alone, whether you're with your family. Build your tabernacle. Worship at home. Worship in your car. Worship when we're together again, which we will be. Worship. Apply worth to God. Because anything else you give that worth to, it will deprive you. It will leave you short. It will never fulfill you. That's what the book of Exodus says. So I pray that you will take this time to build your tabernacle. So as Pastor Scott said and Pastor Terry, go to your church at home. Go to our website. You just click church at home. Go in there. We get something every week, a new video. Last week it was your church manual. I hope you printed that off. Uh, We printed ours at our house, my wife and I. It's up on our wall. Like the Jewish uh, community prints Methuselahs, they put the scroll of the law on their doorpost. We put this up for our holiday to say, you know what? This is how we want to focus for these next 40 days or whatever they are, going into the new year, that we want to do it. And the last one says, may our church at home be a place of worship, actively acknowledging God's presence with us. Let, do that. Let's do this together. Let's do this thing, church at home, church where we are. Don't let it be a building. Don't let it be an institution. Let it be a movement of God in your life from the living God who came and pitched his tabernacle with us to be with us, to redeem us, and to reclaim us. I pray you'll do that every week as we go into this new year. All right, that's what I got. We're going to send it to Pastor Lori to seal this, to pray over it, and I pray you will do church at home.